Hello, and welcome to Learn It From a Layman. I am Carl Christensen, back again with Matt Christensen, Cameron Christensen, and that other individual. Uh, I think we'll refer to him like um, people refer to Voldemort, he who shall not be named or whatever. I prefer the artist formerly known as he who shall be, not be named. Okay. Oh, I thought it was Tim Christensen. <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. Um, yeah, we're not going to call you what you want to be called, Tim. So you can rule that well, out for sure. I, I've come to grips. Um, okay, well, uh, we are going to this uh, week, this episode, going to be talking about music. So the artist formerly um, known as uh, He Who Shall Not Be Named is appropriate given the material that we're going to be covering. Uh-huh. Um, okay, so... The idea of this podcast is we're going to kind of go at a very high level over uh, music, music 101 kind of course, but uh, more encompassing than music 101 and obviously in like half an hour or 45 minutes, significantly less um, in depth. But we're going to be hitting lots of different uh, subjects here. And we're going to start off with uh, just reading music. Carl, can I real quick just interrupt and propose that significantly less in-depth become like our motto for this podcast? <laughs> uh, yeah, it sounds about right. That should be our, <laughs> yeah. Do we have a motto? <laughs> okay, but reading music. We'll start with reading music. Let's, and I'm going to kick this over to, uh, I guess I should start with our layman cred- credentials. Uh, I think Tim and I are probably more musically inclined than Cameron and Matt. Um, yeah. at, <laughs> in, in terms of music production maybe, production or... exactly I, th- I think cameron and, and potentially matt as well could both school me as far as current uh, bands and music and styles and all that kind of stuff but and music production i'm actually somewhat offended by that <laughs> I, I, I guess who am offended and our listeners are wondering why and all of you know why <laughs> I, I can honestly say I can produce quite a bit of music on my body. Oh my so. god. That is information <laughs> we didn't need. Okay, use your armpits, Cameron. Go. No, please don't. Lame an appeal here. <laughs> That's significantly less in depth. <laughs> okay. Let's move to reading music, which was supposed to be our first subject. So, Tim, I'm going to kick this to you. If you were uh, meeting a layman that was interested in learning to read music, where would you start and what would you teach them? Well, I would probably start at the very beginning. Okay. We didn't need that. <laughs> oh. Ouch. All right. When you read, you begin... Okay, never mind. Yeah. So, I would, I would probably start by uh, teaching them that every... I would, I would start with a keyboard, like a piano... And I would say every note on the piano corresponds to a line or a space on this bar staff. And it just goes up and down. All you have to do is remember which space or line on the bar staff corresponds with which note on a piano. And you can figure out what notes you're supposed to press. Yeah, that's good. Um, You did say bar staff or or staff. So I think giving them a little background on what a staff is and what the different yeah. symbols on the staff are might be useful. Uh, yeah, I'd want to like show them. And if, uh, if we were a, a visual medium, we could um, show them. But it, I think most people have at least seen sheet music and you can just imagine those lines. There's kind of a set of lines going horizontally across the top and, and then a parallel set of lines going horizontally underneath it with a bit of space in between and the yeah. notes. And then after they got kind of the gist of that, I would explain to them that different shapes of notes have different lengths of time that they count for and, and you know, rests and stuff like that. Sure, sure. There's a lot to be taken in. And obviously in a podcast is short. We're not going to go into depth about all the, uh, the things necessary to read music. Significantly but Significantly less in depth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking this. We're, we're going with it. Okay, good, good. Well, uh there are lots of things to be taken into consideration, but um, it is, like Tim said, kind of, kind of. if you boil it down to the simplest uh, things, it, it's, uh, you know, line, space, and, and you map that into whatever instrument you're playing on, the, on a keyboard. It is probably the most simple because then you can say up, down, um, as opposed to, say, a violin or something like that where you have to take into consideration different strings and stuff like that. 
So, yeah. what, what if you're playing the drum? It's just fast or slow. That is true. <laughs> uh, drum music is different, and Cameron's, I think, the only one amongst us here that uh, did percussion. Um, so. I'm a timpanist. <laughs> Thank you. I call you a lot worse than that, Tim. <laughs> Quite That's not imaginary terms for our layman audience. <laughs> Chupacabra. We, we all know timpanies aren't real. <laughs> uh, we'll get to timpanies later, maybe. Um, yeah, percussion music, though, Cameron. That it's just a, it's just a rhythm, right? Yeah, just rhythm, which I think is important in basic music. Right. Yeah, you gotta have rhythm. It's a, it's an important part I of might, music. What I might uh, question is percussion just rhythm, or is there slightly more to it? You know, like selecting which instrument to percuss at a given moment. That is a good point. Yeah. So a drum set, for example, um, it, which you most people have probably the most familiarity with, as far as you know, bands. Um, you have what? four or five different things going on uh depending on your drum you're going to have one or two mallets for your bass drum um then you're going to have uh three to six tom toms uh, a couple cymbals a hi-hat um depending on what you're doing you might also add in other instruments that like wind chimes, cowbell. Right. More cowbell, even. That's right. More cowbell. That's right. I have a fever. Um, yes. So, um, yeah, there's lots of double things you can add on and such to that. But uh, the gist is with the most basic instrument, we're just going to go with the drum for percussing. Um, it's just tempo is basically what you're, what you're, practicing there are many other things that you can percuss such as chimes bells right yeah as soon as you work in bells obviously then you're working in tones and, and notes and, and that yeah. gets you back to kind of the more staff the uh scales and stuff like that um okay but that did take me so uh, a a drum set is an important um part instrument part instrument in in most bands so you know pop music these days or any type of music the instrumentation of most bands is is very similar. I mean, there are sometimes different instruments that different bands choose to implement in their uh, band uh, music. But Matt, do you know the the different instruments that most uh, very simple bands include in their uh, their bands? That was a really well worded question. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yes. Yes, it was. So I am probably more, uh, or rather less equipped than your normal layman to discuss this kind of thing. But from my very, very limited exposure, less in typical, depth. <laughs> your typical band has a singer with a pretty voice, a bass guitar, and a computer running auto-tune. <laughs> that is a very important part of music these days uh yeah so a uh, bass guitar singer uh usually there's a guitarist um and don't forget a, the significant and significant other of the main vocalist playing tambourine <laughs> so, there we go or, or yeah. they'll have a or they'll or they'll have a guitar in front of them which they will not actually play or Correct. a cowbell no that's not a thing. Um, but yeah, drum, drums being the almost integral part of, of any of these bands, uh, any type of any genre of music you can think of these days, you have to have a drummer in order to have a band. Um, so, and then bass uh, and the guitar are almost in all bands. And then you have a keyboard in a lot of ba uh, bands that, that does um, different, uh, serves different functions. But anything to add, Tim Cameron? Uh, I'll just throw this out. I just learned like how auto tune actually works. Like I'd always known it was like a thing, but I didn't know what it actually did. But apparently, what it what it does is um, the software corrects your voice when so so most singers, you know, amateur singers, we 
uh, our, our voice, we don't hold the pitch perfectly. We, we have very slight minor modulation up and down over the course of, of singing a note. Um, and I'm not talking about like vibrato, like, you know, a lot of professional singers have, but just, you know, we're, we're not quite on pitch all the time. We're up, we're down. And auto-tune just like kind of auto-corrects that. Uh, of course, the better singer you are, the the less um, drastic the auto-tune will sound. And if you're if you're really bad and you auto-tune your voice, you sound it starts to sound pretty robotic and whatnot. But anyways, I was like, oh, so it's actually, you know, digitally altering your voice up and down to make it consistent. That's a really cheap and dirty explanation of someone who really doesn't know much about auto-tune, but just learned a bit more. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, so would you like the slightly more in-depth version? Just sure. listen to right, the Disney hey, Channel. That's, that's right. I think all we really need to do. They auto-tune all their people. There we go. <laughs> that's why yeah. they all sound the exact same. Yeah, yeah. So, Matt, yeah, give us a, a, the, the tech-savvy explanation. Wait, I thought our, I thought our motto was less in-depth. Yeah. Uh, trying to think of how I can split But when have we ever dealt with consistency in that's a right okay go ahead manner we're gonna auto-tune this right. podcast right now so all all sounds are is pressure waves and those waves move with a specific frequency um the frequency of my voice playing through your computer speakers is a pleasant baritone maybe Silky i don't smooth. know <laughs> um, but you know it's measured in some amount of hertz um I don't do a lot of inflection, but if I do, like this, then the frequency of my voice changes. It's very, very easy when you're using a digital system to read in the, the frequency of your voice and map it and see where the frequency is and what it varies between at a different point. When you can record it and map it, you can then apply your software to correct it. So you take the frequency that is the ideal, that, that perfect note, that A-flat or whatever it is, you know where that is, and then you can digitally adjust the recorded voice to match the desired frequency. You're just shifting it uh, in, in its... Yeah, it's just applying a frequency shift to get to the correct note every time. The thing is, when you shift frequency you are artificially manipulating the voice. When you hear in cartoons uh, a character start to talk fast, the, the pitch of their voice goes up, right? They start talking like this and this and this and this. Anyway, um, when you digitally manipulate someone's voice and change the frequency, you are altering the speed of whatever it is, the, the noise that is coming out of their mouth. And that artificial speed adjustment can be detected. We register it. We see it as not quite correct. Something is off. Something is not organic with the voice. And so you can hit the exact pitch that you want uh, with the frequency correction that comes into auto-tune. But if you're way out and your frequency correction is significant, you will hear steps in the, in the sound. You will hear changes and adjustments in the speed that will trigger in your mind one way or another as being incorrect and inorganic. Um, that's why auto-tune can get you to the correct frequency, but it still sounds a little bit not natural. Hmm. That's the significantly more in-depth version, and I fully expect for Carl to edit that out. <laughs> or at least I... auto-tune it to a higher frequency. There we go. <laughs> uh, I certainly won't edit it out, though. I'd say um, it is uh, the case that Matt is the uh, the scientific side of things where um, I was leaning more towards like Shakespearean quotes about music where Matt's explaining it scientifically. So um, oh, I've got one of those, too. I've got oh, one. We'll I've got one later. Lorenzo from The Merchant of Venice. The man that hath no music in himself, nor is not moved with concord of sweet sounds, is fit for treasons, stratagems and spoils. Which, oh, uh, that was the no, one I texted you this I, evening. I, I know that's why it's so uh, it's so funny. <laughs> You'll notice you also I used that one. A, you guys must have been raised by a literature professor. <laughs> yeah, you'll notice I also use that one to describe me 
which yeah. is fitting. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, uh, good. Um, okay, so um, we're going to jump back. So that's a good explanation. I love the scientific nature of it. We're going to move on to something less scientific and talk more genre, music genres. Um, so, uh, and I don't, I don't just mean contemporary. I also mean uh, historical. So let's, uh, let's kick it over to Tim. Tell us about some music genres and give us some examples and uh, explain. Okay. Um, huh. Well, music genres. First, I, I will lament the fact that uh, classical music is, uh, and by classical, I mean uh, all the kind of uh, traditional music going back from the Baroque and pre-Baroque era all the way to uh, early modern, you know, it gets a very little attention by, uh, by most modern Listeners, I feel like a lot of people are uh, broken off from their musical history. If you imagine people learning history only from the 1950s on, um, I feel like that's a lot of people with their music listening tastes. You know, they, you know, and and when you break off so much of the musical production of humanity, you know, you you get a real fragmented, I think, view. So, anyways, I'm just. Uh, it's not like I go around listening to classical all the time. I love, you know, modern rock songs and whatnot, but I wish, you know, everyone could experience all the different flavors and textures of music that, that are out there, including from different eras. Um, well, some would argue that there are certain flavors of music that nobody needs to taste. <laughs> Just, <clears throat> Justin Bieber. <laughs> what are you talking about? Justin Bieber is a modern Mozart. Yes, of course he is. So, Tim, you're saying if it ain't Baroque, don't fix it? <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, I, I don't want to get into the whole, you know, this stuff kids are listening to these days is junk. Um, I would just say that most stuff that most people listen to in general is junk. Um, well, that's not at all controversial. <laughs> Wait, way to way to soften that for the layman audience. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Turning up my nose. No, I, I have I have a theory for this. It's not my own, but um, the the modern music industry is um, is funded by mass production. You know, a a uh, a studio, a label that wants to make a profit needs to sell a lot of albums. And needs to get a lot of people listening to its stuff. As a result, it, um, it it leans towards producing things that will have mass appeal to a, a broad um, audience. And therefore, um, the music is stripped. Um, it's it generally basic, and you find these kind of formulaic things that work that people like to listen to that a lot of people will listen to but the artistic um you know uh like the soul of it you know the the experimentation or um you know the the expression the the challenge all those things that define what art is are often absent from these you kind of kind of think of this as uh, you know mass marketing paper plates you know they get a lot of use but they're not are they're not to carefully rot fine china and you know there's a place i think for that kind of thing but but again my lament is just that that's all most of us listen to most of the time is just this you know catchy three chord song with um you know try this for a fun experiment just to, if you if you think i'm a i'm a snob try this um write down or look up the lyrics of 10 of your favorite songs and try reading them out loud as as a poem they sound laughable um, most of the time because they're just not poetry. And anyways, sorry, English teacher here going off, but um, yes, well, there, there's definitely, I, I think you, you strike a chord. Ha ha. Um, <laughs> with that, you know, the analogy that comes to mind for me because I am this type of person is with food. If you look at um, a hamburger there's an entire spectrum of hamburgers. Yeah. There's one specific hamburger that is engineered and tailored for mass appeal. 
it is specifically designed and flavored and uh, chemically created to be tasty. And it's the McDonald's burger, and it's delicious and amazing, and I love them. Shut up. I don't <laughs> care. Um, but if you contrast that to, uh, you know, the type of burger that Cameron makes on the grill or uh, the type that you get when you go to a really nice restaurant that happens to have burgers on the menu, there's absolutely no comparison. Um, no, uh, yeah. The one actually involves talent, skill, and some degree of culinary artistry. The other is mass-produced tastiness. Um, to me, that's kind of where I see the analogy with modern music as compared to classical. Yeah, yeah. I like that. And and I, I would say even, you know, um, there are really good modern um, I was gonna musicians. Say, so, that... so that's, I think, I think the, the main difference is hundreds of years ago, uh, the, you know, your Beethovens, your Mozarts, your... Even more, more recently, even as recently as 100 and 120 years ago, Debussy, um, people that are that are playing with musical theory like it's a child's toy because they know it so well, um, and and are doing amazing, innovative things. Uh, those were the popular composers. That was a popular music to listen to. These days, that's not the case, right? Now that now the popular music to listen to are those three chord song, uh, three chord songs uh, with very little, you know. Uh, musical theory behind the very music, very musically dumb. Uh, a level the layman could understand, for example. Um, <laughs> Get nay <nay-nayed. laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. However, Lesson, there yeah. is, there are currently I'm good composers out there writing good music, and what you usually, at least I think where the layman has heard these before, are in music soundtracks. Sure. Uh, yes. Um, yes, yes, yes. Like John Williams, Hans Zimmer, um, you know, those types of people that are currently writing amazing Ready, scores. Maybe. Yeah. Um, they're amazing, writing amazing scores. And you hear them in the, ba- the, ba- the background for these, these movies. And they make, they're part of what makes these movies iconic, right? Uh, like Star Wars and uh, Lord of the Rings and, you know, just lots of different iconic movies that have these amazing soundtracks. Uh, and that are, if you listen to the soundtrack by itself, is truly a, a work of art. So... Well, you know, that goes back to what opera used to be, or, or, well, still is. I mean, opera was all about a story with a soundtrack. You didn't make an opera just for the sake of the music. You made the opera as a medium to tell a story. Uh, The music contributed to the story. These days, believe it or not, the equivalent of opera is film or cinema or TV or or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you have their story, and the music is an integral part of it, and that's where you find your really good composers composing, telling those modern stories and putting the music that goes with the story. And right. because you're, you're doing such a, you know, these stories are complex, they're in-depth sometimes, Michael Bay, not looking at you, <laughs> and, and that type it's of effort. Explosion attracts that ta- people. Yeah, that type <laughs> of effort, though for those really good stories, the Lord of the Rings, Jurassic Park, all of those that attracts the high caliber of musician and composer that you want to go with that high caliber story. So I 100% in accord, you find that modern great music in the soundtracks to those great stories. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So it's uh, that's, that's a good insight. Uh, I'm going to take us really quick for the sake of, being an informational podcast as well. Real quick here, I'm going to breeze through kind of musical history uh, with classical going up through some current genres. So um, we're going to start with the Renaissance because before that, it was people uh, banging on wood. Um, (laughs) There's not a lot going on, all right? (laughs) I I would say that... um... Well, it's pre-recorded, right? In- Gregorian chants are not exactly, you know, your. Uh, uh, you don't go around listening to Gregorian chants. Well, I, I would, uh, I would assert that we probably don't know. Um, you, you know, there there weren't means of recording music, but I'll bet that folk and kind of oral traditions. Um, you know, there's music being produced and and created, and you know, we, we it just it's not recorded. It wasn't written down, and anything we have is filtered through time. So, you know, 
but yeah, so necessarily we have to start at the in the Renaissance era because that's when it first gets recorded and kind of standardized, right? That's just my somewhat ignorant take on it. Sure, sure. That, yeah. Uh, anyway, we're gonna. So the Renaissance period has a, a number of uh, composers listed here. So that starts in the like the 1400s up through the 1600s, um, and there are a number of. Uh, Composers here that you may or may not have heard of before. Honestly, I who have played a number of a lot of classical music in my life have heard of these like Talus, Bird, Gibbons, uh, Fresco Baldi. Um, anyway, Gibbs names that you're not making these up. <laughs> Essentially, I mean these and these are according to this website I'm on uh, uh, some of the composers of note of this period. So you can imagine th that. We don't know a lot of the names of the people from the 14s to 1600s, but they were they did lay a groundwork as far as what was going to come after that. So starting in the 1600s, you got the Baroque period, and that's where we start becoming more familiar with the the, uh, the names. So we got Bach, Handel, um, Vivaldi. So those are more people that you that your layman's going to be familiar with, and uh, and that's a you know, very uh, crucial t time in, in the history of music. Um, you know, even now, Bach and Handel are played everywhere in the world. Um, so, uh, moving on to classical, that's going to be in like the 1750s and, and through the eight, early 1800s. And that's obviously, we call it classical music. This is kind of the, uh, the golden era. So then you've got Haydn and Mozart and uh, Beethoven um, and Schubert and Friedman. Anyway, lots of lots of classical uh, composers that, that did amazing things. Uh, then we start hitting the Romantic period in the 1830s, 1840s. Uh, then we start getting like Liszt and Schumann, Mendelssohn, um, Chopin. Um, anyway, other names that you might be familiar with. And so they, this starts becoming more expressive. Music becomes more expressive, but still very music, uh, musically dense, uh, difficult. Uh, late Romantic. Um, and I'd, I'd argue the late romantic is the last period where you get your, your nominally classical, what we think of as classical music, where it's, you know, just instrumentation and just, uh, you know, lots of different, uh, where you can follow the tune. Yeah. Well, so late, rom I, I want this is the last period where, where the, where so a name like Debussy, Brahms, um, names like that, Wagner, um, people. Yeah, Wagner. Sorry, um, where people know these names, they were they were popular in their day. They're popular now, and they wrote, you know, musically complex, uh, very moving pieces that uh, were that went well in the public. And something changed around the 1920s, where that started falling out of the 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 public uh, appetite. And so the, after that, you, there are just not a lot of names that we know of. Uh, that that write classical music other than what we've already mentioned like for musical soundtracks uh, part of that probably is some uh, so jazz started in um, the 1920s 1930s and jazz As we all know jazz is not real music <laughs> I love jazz hey, hey I love I'm jazz not, too I'm not I'm not commenting uh, like this is a problem I, I think jazz is wonderful I think jazz was the first step though away from um, you know your classic, your your classically trained musical uh, uh, composer and and uh, um, musician. Where all of a sudden most jazz musicians were also classically trained, but you know it, it's a step where you can all of a sudden now you have this complete freedom where solo periods happened and you know you just be able to play whatever you wanted, and all of a sudden you you got start getting you got some imposters in there. You can't really get a lot of imposters in, in classical music because you have to know your chord theory. You have to know, you know, composing theory, all, all kinds of stuff. As soon as you get to jazz, you start losing that. Um, the, the Jackson Pollocks of music. Is that what you're saying? Uh, what? <laughs> I, uh, oh, I'm just joking. I'm, I'm taking a stab at Jackson Pollock in his... I don't know if Carl knows who Jackson like. Pollock is. He, he's the guy who, you know, like a, a huge canvas just would kind of paint spattered across it, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah I, 
he's I don't... also known for tones of paint. I mean, now now we're, if we're going to go in the painting world here, but anyway, That's we digress. I, I'm not qualified but... to critique Jackson Pollock. <laughs> okay, <laughs> <For real. laughs> well, different podcast. Uh, anyway, there we go. Jazz. I love jazz music. I took a history of jazz music. I, I did jazz band all through high school. Uh, it's really fun, uh, and it does require some some ability, musical ability, musical theory. But it's that first step away from you know your very rigid and, and much more regimented um, classical theory. Um, just a, a quick note that this is a, a general pattern across the artistic world in the you know late eighteen, early nineteen hundreds. The departure from form. You got your impressionists and painting and later, you know, cubism and so forth in in poetry, you know, leaving form like sonnets and, and so forth. And, and your your free form, free verse poetry becoming more prominent. And so this is a general pattern happening all throughout the arts um, yep. through all this time. Good, good, good okay. point. Yep. All right. And then and then we obviously get our kind of start moving towards um, big bands and, and then rock and roll and then pop. And now we are in kind of the post-musical. Post-pop. Um, yeah. I don't even know what to call our current uh, point in the musical world, uh, musical history. Lamentable. Um, yeah, exactly. The dear. <laughs> yeah. Comical theory? The dumpster uh, fire. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it, this is like in Greek civilization after Plato and Socrates and and who knows what happened after them because who cares? I mean, um, the I mean, technical term is the nadir. <laughs> there you go. Uh, going back to what Matt said about the opera and stuff like that, I mean, you still get a little bit of that with like musicals and stage things like that, and you still get some really good composers. Um. I mean, even going back to like our the romantics and the classical, a lot of the composers had a very singular theme. Like you know, the the songs all sounded very similar, oftentimes because it was different keys of the same song and such. But uh, I mean, I'm sure most people like know who Sodheim is, a great one, known as one of the great musical composers of uh, for um, musical theater right now. But I personally hate him. I hate the way. Not him. Like I distaste his music because of the way it sounds. But anyway, but a lot of people just love him and praise what he does. Um, then we also have um, rap coming in to be stuff like with Hamilton and such, which mm -hmm. I do. I do like Hamilton, but I'm just mm -hmm. saying we definitely go through different things, um, and I think. It, sometimes it's the artist trying to get in touch with the layman, bringing it back here, um, by ch altering it, you know, to what the layman may consider pretentious, that I think we all have a more of appreciation to because of the way we were raised. Um, yeah. Not necessarily that we're pretentious, but it's just more <laughs> appealing to us because we understand the theory behind it a little bit more, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I'll comment on, uh, you, so you take something like Hamilton, which is done in a, in a rap format, I, I think it was an interesting exploration, and I, I haven't seen it, but I've listened to a lot of the, the songs, and um, it, it's fun, and, and I like what it does, um, you know, building characters through that genre. I think sometimes a lot of us traditionalists will get down on, on a genre like rap, you know, and get mad at it, you know, because it's not music, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I think we can step back and look at things like that and appreciate it for what it is, you know. Uh, it, you know, rhythmical, um, you know, language, um, you know, with tune and, and music. And, you know, it, it may not be, it, you know, it's, it's a totally different animal from Brahms or whatever. Um, and, and again, I... I think it's a bummer that some people will only listen to you know one or two genres of music and ex exclude other things but you know I, I think there's room to step back and appreciate and say hey there there's really talented rap artists out there you know creating really cool stuff um just like there are in in other genres yeah there are and yeah that's a good point to make uh, as we've now trashed pretty much all of the current uh Pretty all of our listeners probably have now been offended. <laughs> we trashed uh, everyone except for dead white male musicians. <laughs> exactly. No, no, no. There we, are... we praise jazz. Uh, most of those were 
That's black, true. So. I love Louis Armstrong, probably one of my favorite um, uh, musicians in history. Um, however, yeah, I, I think uh, there are some amazing musicians out there, and, and I do think Cameron's right as well. I think a lot of them just play to the masses. And I met Cameron, yeah. Matt, Tim, someone said, talking about how that's kind of what's, that's what you do now, right? Everything has to be mass produced. So the musicians probably feel like they have to dumb it down in order to sell. And that's unfortunate. Um, you get their marching orders from the studio. Right. You get, you get someone like, I, I think I, uh, I hesitate to use this example, but you know, Taylor Swift, <laughs> who, who is, is definitely a different musician and artist now than she was when she first started. Right. Um, producing very different type of music. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of people get like that. You know, you got a talented musician that gets gets into this system. And who's going to say no to millions of dollars and fame and fortune? You know, just. Well, you know. Can, can I can I expand on that for a second? I would take Lady Gaga, who started as a mass produced to get her music out. And now she's actually switching it to um, what she actually likes because she was actually classically trained in France. Like, oh, really? Wow. She, she has a beautiful voice. Like, if you listen to some of her other stuff, like, it's amazing. Uh, but she's actually changing a lot from the, the mass pop and getting away from all the gimmicks that she was kind of forced into, uh, and which made her an icon. But now she's actually doing more of the stuff that she enjoys. So, interesting. Does so, she so... still wear dresses made out of steak? No, she doesn't. Um, oh. She actually has come out and actually has regretted a lot of the statements that she's made. Um, she was kind of pushing it to, from her producers and her mm. and her such her managers to kind of for her image and stuff. So but now her tune is "I was trained this way." <laughs> oh man, nice. <laughs> okay. All right, so uh, we've got three other things to touch on real quick here. One, I'm just going to cruise through, and this is kind of, once again, trying to get the informational part of the, the uh, podcast out there. So this is kind of musical uh, vocabulary. And so while I'm listing here, if Tim, Matt, Cameron, if you can think of other vocabulary, just layman vocabulary that someone might need to know in order to, to be able to speak music, um, that whip, go ahead and... Nay, nay. Whip, <laughs> nay, nay. <laughs> Fermata. Fermata would be a good one. Here, give, give me a second. I'm going to start really layman, though. Okay, so it's chords. We've said chords a couple times here. Uh, people, I think, get the general idea of what a chord is, but a chord is literally just uh, multiple notes um, played at the same time for, uh, in a particular structure, right? So chords, uh, chords have structure uh, as de defined by what we call a, uh, a key signature. And so a key, or if someone says, what key is that song in? What they mean is what... Um, what what sharps and flats are in on oh in <laughs> look i'm trying to get this one piece at a time here <laughs> um what key is it in meaning what what tone do you start on so this key of key of e key of g so that and saying what 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 tone do i is the root for this uh um this chord or for this scale and then what and and based on that it tells us what sharps and flats now sharps and flats are uh, just a difference in tone um, for, uh, for the, the notes in that key. Um, and so, uh, a scale is going, is going up and down in a particular key. All right. And scales have a relationship to the, um, to each other. So usually, uh, with a key signature, uh, you're talking about a whole step, whole step, half step, whole step, whole step, whole step, half the step. Whole, whole step being, this is an interval one, between one, two notes. Right. Right. An interval right. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. A step being two notes up and a half step being one note up. Yes. And, uh, so the tone is notes are. higher. Yeah. Notes <laughs> I was are, like, are, should, should we talk no, about there's notes. only from A to G? I mean. Uh, yeah, well, there's a lot of, yeah, right, right, exactly. Uh, so there's this the thing notes. called music. Okay, hold on. Hey. hey the, <laughs> Sorry, Carl. We assume a lot of people know these things, but I think it's useful that. Uh, <laughs> no, no, you're right. Notes are tones. We're betraying uh, our motto here, and we're going. <laughs> Significantly yeah, I think some less basic... in depth. Keep going, Carl. You can. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, that's I got sharps. So sharps are up, flats are down from the to the tone that, um, and then 
that's mostly what I wanted to cover was just those basics. So, because uh, you often hear about key signature, you hear about chords and you hear about scales. And if you don't know anything about music, scales are not like those from a fish. Uh, key is not like a, a key to that to anything else. Um, it's the mystical force that powers your soul. <laughs> it is it is the structure of the tones in a song. Um, and so that's that's kind of what what key means. Uh, that's what a chord uh, is defined by the key signature, meaning that 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 structure of those tones. And uh, and anyway, that's how those fit together. So don't want to put anyone to sleep here, but I want people to get something out of this. You, you might uh, just as a, a, a an exercise for the layman, if you pick any song, um, if you if you hum that song, say "Twinkle Little Star," as you go through it, you um, the note that ends the song will will basically always be in in any traditional song will always be that that bottom note, the the tonic we call it. But it's it's so for example in the key of C, um, any song that um, is played in the key of C, it's always going to end on a C. If it doesn't end on a C, it won't feel resolved. So think about Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. How I wonder what you... If you stop there, the song doesn't feel complete until you get to that last note, bum, R. Now it feels complete. So if you're wondering what, what the key signature is, is all about, it's kind of this the starting point for what the music is framed on. And something in the key of C a song, unless it's a non-traditional song, will always end on the tone of C. That's the, the base root tonic note on which the whole song is formed. Every note in the song is defined in relation to that base note, that that tone. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I do think, and so, and, and, and there are progressions, there are changes in songs that most of us are familiar with. So many, 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 many songs out there are written with a four chord progression. Mm-hmm. Um, and that goes <clears throat> from the tonic. So I, I believe uh, I have to go look this up now. But um, there is, there's a, it goes the tonic to the fifth to the minor fourth to the, to the Tim, am I getting this wrong? Is it to the sixth? Anyway, I'm going f- way in depth here. Yeah, I would should start we, with the should power, we just power listen power to Hallelujah? Okay. Because I'm pretty anyway, sure. Anyway, yes. my <laughs> point is yeah, there might be someone coming. There might be someone coming. <laughs> someone coming here that's trying to say, how do I write a music? I want to. I, I want to write a song for my girlfriend or my boyfriend or, or anyone for a, a parent. I want to write a song. How do I do that? Well, chord progressions are what you need to know. You need to go look into a little bit of chord progressions because that's really what you need to know in order to write a song that is not just notes slapped on a page and essentially has no, no, structure and nothing anyone can actually grab onto and and want to sing your song. And if you're starting from the beginning, probably the, the easiest place is to do your power chords, uh, a, a first, a fourth, and a fifth. It's right. the, the structure of pretty much any rock and roll song. Think Louie Louie, um, La Bamba, uh, <laughs> you know, name, right. name your rock and roll song. It's going to go da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and you got it. And anyways, there's there's a million variations, but you'll you'll find those all over the place, Right, right. Um, anyway, okay. So we'll we'll move on here. Um, and th- we got two last things to cover. And the, so one, I'd like each one of us to pick an instrument that we'd recommend someone learn, the layman learn, if they're trying to pick up a new instrument. Uh, Matt, uh, the CD changer. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> U- useful. <laughs> Sorry. Right. So again, I am not the right person to ask. I was uh, compelled to learn piano. Piano <laughs> is difficult, but if you want to have a solid foundation in music, piano is probably the best one to, if you're really serious about it, piano gives you the best uh, understanding of musical theory, in my opinion. Second if you want night. to learn something faster that you can use to impress people at a party until they realize that you're actually just kind of a tool and kick you out, the acoustic guitar is pretty popular. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Cameron, any other ones besides the ones Matt's, Matt, Matt mentioned? Uh, I'm going to steal Tim's because I know he's going to say this, but I'm going to say the banjo. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> All right. The, that's a fun one. 
Tim? Banjo, by the way, gets a bad rap. It's an incredible <laughs> instrument. I, I truly like the banjo. I mean, yeah. when we were chilling over at your dad's place the uh, the other week. Uh, it was actually really fun just talking about the banjo and pick patterns and stuff like that. So. Yeah, and, and the history of it. And we'll, we'll oh, yeah. have to talk about you know bluegrass and its relation to blues and, and jazz and rock later but yeah it's it's fascinating um okay so i'll, I'll uh you know get, can't go wrong with any of those um uh of the serious musician if you're serious about really picking up a, a, a instrument probably just for because it's common but also very versatile and relatively accessible uh violin would be a good one up there um, but I'm going to, I'm going to put this out here for our, I'm going to say our standard layman is probably not willing to invest hours and hours in a week for, for years to, you know, or for, you know, at least a year or two to, to pick up on that. But let's say you just wanted to try pick something up where you could learn some tunes and, and play it, um, relatively easily harmonica. It's, uh, it's cheap to acquire. It's portable. It's simple and relatively easy to learn, but there's enough, um, flexibility with it that as you get better you can do more things multi-tonal songs more complex songs and um, you know you could get a lot of satisfaction out of it but the bar is relatively low as far as being able to do it and have some fun with it right off the bat yeah for sure if i may add a thought on the violin um, if you're just getting into music and your desire is to participate in truly great music which as we've convincingly argued is now found in soundtracks and things these days if you want to be part of that listen to those soundtracks and look at how much of the melody relies on the violin Mm -hmm. Uh, so if you really want to be that great musician in the center of a great piece the violin is often uh, front and center in in truly great modern music Mm -hmm. i would say the cello is a close second to that yeah, and if, so, and if you just want to those. look cool, to speed up, right bass. Any of the, <laughs> any of the strings. Yeah, I was gonna. So one I was gonna actually recommend. I, I second piano, guitar, um, the, those as far as just usability. Because I think a big part of people that want to pick up an instrument, it's often because they want to they want to do something with it, right? And it, and you, the opportunities that you get um, with something like a banjo are limited. Well, awesome. Tragically, probably. Yeah, just not that many opportunities. Now, guitar, guitar and piano, and then bass, like Cameron just mentioned. Either upright bass or electric bass, ch- the opportunities are out there, right? Bands, jazz band, um, basses are, are used all over the place, and it's uh, a skill set that's not as common. So, um, something that you could look into as well. So, um, You could also pick up and play just a uh, rock band. You know, That's a great way to participate in music you really feel like you're playing some awesome songs the electric shaver is not music <laughs> <laughs> that was my dryer i'm sorry it's okay. one time <laughs> Speaking uh, of music. Uh, don't forget the jaw harp also very easy instrument Ooh. to learn yes. <laughs> there you go the spoons the uh washboard <laughs> okay as, all right as we can That's see that i like i like my bluegrass so <laughs> All right. So as we as we come to a conclusion here, there are a couple. So uh, there are some very good reasons to learn how to make uh, how to play music, learn uh, learn to read music, whatever it might be. Um, and I'm going to share a couple scientific based ones, and then if you want to share any anecdotal ones, we can do that as well. So um, so music, and we know what they are for kids, right? Often it, t- it talks we learn about you know oh, if kids learn how to play an mu- instrument, it'll help them in school. Well, most of us are no longer in school, um, and so what about us? So let's start with that one. So it says many studies show that uh, music, learning music, can enhance the mind, um, despite uh, at an older age. And so uh, in a study at University of South Florida. Adults aged between 60 and 85 were given piano lessons. Six months later, they exhibited improved memory, verbal fluency, information processing skills, and other cognitive func- functions. Wow. So, and that's from 60 to 85. Um, so, it, it's not the case that, oh, I didn't learn it as a kid, and therefore I can never learn it, and it's not going to do me any good anyway. It, it will always do you good, and you can. I, I Anecdotally, this is 
like five or ten years ago, my wife were on, and I were on a cruise. Uh, there was a pianist that was in a, playing on a grand piano in one of the um, lounge areas, and he was a virtuoso, just absolutely incredible player. And I got talking to him after one of his sets, and uh, he said he had picked up the piano at age 60. What? Uh, yeah. Wow. Yep. And he was incredible. And, uh, and so it's okay. doable. I've seen it. <laughs> Of course, he started playing organ at age three, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he said he had no, no experience before that, at least no, no piano or organ, you know, nothing wow, like that. Wow, that's spectacular. So, yeah, I, I do also have incredible. a friend who picked up uh, organ playing as an adult and, and has become very good. I, I'm quite impressed. So, so yeah, I, I second that. It can be done. Yeah. So, well, and, and your dad, too. Um, I mean, your dad has been a virtuoso in almost everything. But it mm -hmm. seems like he's routinely picking up another instrument just for yep. fun. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I mean, he's known guitar since he was a kid. But yeah, he just said, I want to learn banjo. And it's, it is a, I mean, while it's a stringed instrument, it is different, different techniques and everything. And yeah, you just have to be willing to put in the time. Yeah. So learning sure. music makes you smarter, huh? Hmm. Yep. And then one other thing before we get done here, and this is uh, it makes you healthier as well. So it says research has shown that playing music lowers your blood pressure, reduces stress and anxiety levels, and also strengthens your uh, immunological, so your, your immune system. Wow. And that's as long as you wash your hands before touching the keyboard. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> So uh, just a few of the benefits of music, uh, and that's playing. These are playing music and or learning how to, how to play music. So this isn't just something for kids. This is something that anyone can pick up at any point. Uh, and it is a, an investment of time, but a worthwhile one. And so um, any final thoughts as we sign off? I got one. Um, you, even if you don't want to invest any time, um, sing you know, sing to your kids, uh, you know, sing if, if you attend a worship service, um, you know, you know, sing along to, you know, so many people are so self-conscious about their voices and stuff. And it's a real shame because the one instrument that we all possess, regardless of training, is, is the human voice. And the human voice is a beautiful instrument. So, um, you know, like, anyways... That's my one thing. If you got kids, sing to them and have them sing with you, teach them songs. Um, and that is one tradition that goes back to, you know, um, all the way with humanity. So don't cut yourself off from a, from a beautiful, beautiful part of being human. All right. So I like that. That was, that was really nice. I have Thanks. nothing sarcastic to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I'm going to sign off with the, uh, the, uh, the words of Bob Marley one good thing about music when it hits you you feel no pain oh. alright so um, <laughs> I guess that actually um, right there proves Bob Marley wrong <laughs> hey I now, think I, I hear now feel some, pain. some chords Okay, Matt is trying desperately to make that our theme song. It's not happening. <laughs> I like that one for you. Let's see. Okay. It. All right, then uh, good night, and we will see you guys back next time.